Francois Nokia is the developer of the port of Gauteng and our guy, our go-to guy, anytime we want to find out about Transnet. And my goodness, hasn't Transnet just been in the news? In this episode of Undictated, we're going to pick up from the resignation stroke firing last week of the chief executive of Transnet, Portia Derby. Uh, She's not too long after a new chairman, Andeli Sanko took over at Transnet. He replaced Louis von Ziena. I don't know if there's any relevance in that, but uh, Andile was the former head of Anglo-American South Africa, so is a business guy with plenty of management experience. What is weird, really weird, is that both Portia Derby and her ex-husband, Brian Molefi, were both chief executives of Transnet, They both came from outside of the industry with zero knowledge of the uh, whole rail and port operations, but they were both very deeply embedded in the ANC. I guess the Democratic Alliance is really trying to get hold of those uh, insights onto the ANC's cater deployment strategies, because if there ever was a point of someone landing in a cushy job, out of their depth. It, this seems to be one of them. In 2022, because that's the latest annual report that we've got, Porsche Derby was paid eight and a half million rands, more than double what the her replacement or temporary replacement anyway, Michelle Phillips, was paid, 4.2 million rand. What is interesting there as well is that of the 20 executives at Transnet who... Uh, are listed in the annual report. Between them, they got 86 million rand. Michelle was one of the lower paid of them. There are nine members of that 20 group that actually earn more than her. So you've got to wonder why she was the one, uh, the chief executive of Transnet Pipelines, who was put into the position uh, until the next chief executive comes along. So in Undictated, it's all about getting context. Uh, Francois uh, Nurkia has asked not to talk about the management changes, and that's cool, Francois. I understand that is there seems to be a heck of a lot going on there. You did give some praise to the transit management uh, when we spoke a little while ago on the introduction of ICTSI from the Philippines to run part of the Durban port. You thought that that was a really good move. When I put that to Melanie Vaness, who is the chair of the Associated Chamber of Commerce. She says, yeah, fine, but it's a very small part of all of Transnet. And actually, you needed to do a lot more than just fiddling at the edges. You've been following this for a long time, perhaps just for context as well, for those who don't know what you do. You're the developer of Port of Karting, which is quite reliant on a efficient Transnet, I guess, into the future. Yes and no. Uh we, we were at the entry point of Gauteng. Uh, if, if, if Transnet doesn't rail, everything will come by road. And we sit between the railway line and the road. We bought the land where the container corridor and the N3 are very close to each other and are running parallel. But for the sake of the country, we cannot just have the N3. It, it's too risky. It's just uh, yeah, you, you, you cannot have all your containers 
coming from Durban Harbour into Gauteng to Lumbumbash just on the N3. So rail needs to work at some stage. And if rail work, we will make more money. So it, it's a big part of our thing, but it's not just because the stuff needs to get to Gauteng and we, we, we're at the, the entry point. The, the word port actually derives from the Afrikaans port. You know, when I explained it to my mother one day and I said to her, it's the port in Gauteng and, and that's when we got to the word, uh, use the word port of Gauteng. But it will work so much better if rail can work. You know, I drove up yesterday from Nottingham Road to, to Joba. The amount of trucks on a Wednesday that's on that road, it, it's just, and, and the amount of trucks that have grown uh, over the, the, the last few years. They, they, there's a company, ProLotus, in, in America. They're the biggest warehouse company. They've issued a, a study that they've done over the last 10 years. And to do the same billion rand turnover uh, of, of retail sales, you now need 57% more warehousing than you did in uh, 10 years ago. Because things got cheaper, it's, it's e-commerce, whatever. but the fact that we just concentrate on the, the cheaper thing. So even if the turnover of a company like Game or Clicks or whatever stays the same, they're selling more product. So there's more trucks on the road. And it surely can't just be the, the, the N3. Therefore, if the rail works, we'll be better off, but it's not our whole business that uh, depends on, uh, on rail. So you've followed Transnet very closely. You've explained to us the vested interest that you have in it. But when Melanie Vaness told us her view, and she called for the firing of the whole board and the whole executive team, and, well, she's had at least one of the people that have gone, she stopped just short of saying this was a shit show. Uh, is there anything, are there any redeeming factors uh, that is that, that we can take from Transnet? Because it appears as though it's just in a downward, maybe a death spiral. Let's just step back where I agree with Melanie. I was very happy about the Philippine guys. But remember, I've been on your show a few times. And one of the shows I said, they should be broken into 12 to 20 companies. They must repeat what's happened in Durban Harbor 12 to 20 times. That is when the problem will be solved. That is the, the, the crux. She's 100% correct. I'm happy that that happened, but it is just a small part. But they need to break the, the rail into the four or five corridors, separate the infrastructure operator from the, from the fleet operators. They need to break Durban Harbour and get two or three operators into Durban Harbour, different one for, for Nuka, different one for Cape Town, different one for the pipeline that it becomes manageable businesses where they, they, they shareholder money in, not the government shareholder, real shareholders that goes to AGMs, where management has got share options or shares vested, like if you run a, a Nuspers or a Bitvest, well, you've got skin in the game. And then if you've got 10 or 20 of these logistics companies, it will bring new blood into the country will bring new investment into the, the country that will create competition. So they, they, they need to replicate what, what's happened on Pier 2 in Durban right through the, 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 the Transnet system. It's like Transnet is like electronics that are uh, wired in series. 50 batteries or 20 big batteries in series. It doesn't work. The resistance built up too much. There's just too many levels and, and, and nobody more. It's like if electronics gives you, and I'm not an electronic expert, but I understand, that then you need to uh, uh, wire it in parallel. 
the resistance come down. You've got workable chunks. And that's the problem at the moment. It's a, it's a 55,000 employee conglomerate. And I don't think anybody can run it. So you ask if there's a dev spiral, it might very well be in the, in a, in a, in a dev spiral because there was big mistakes made over many years. The problems didn't only start when Paul Shadabi took over. The balance sheet got blown out before she took over. And, and there, I, I blame some of these academics. I know uh, some people might be very upset now. But some of these academics that now criticize Paul Shadabi were very involved in 20, 2008, 2012, writing massive business plans for Transnet, showing 8% a year growth on containers. And they had a strategy, market demand strategy. Let's build it. The demand will come. So the, 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 the strategy before Porsche broke the balance sheet. And a lot of academics were part of that. Now those academics are criticizing Porsche. And they're very still about the, their effort in, uh, uh, in uh, building or breaking the balance sheet of Transnet and, and, uh, and making it out if Transnet can, can do everything. So this is not somebody that had a heart attack. He's got diabetes, it's a heart attack, and he's got cancer. And, and, and now somebody is criticizing this current disease. But they were the one that, that made sure that the company was 100% obese, 100% over-indebted. Uh, so it, it's got a problem, Alec. It's not a simple process to run. And therefore, that's why I don't want to talk to management. Because it's not just Porsche or Derby. It, it's the, the three level, the three sets of management before, from 2009. And then also the, the, the police service failed them. The, the, this copper theft, uh, I spoke to you about it, That I think the first interview about it, it's organized crime. And um, they, they, Transnet was slow about it and how to deal with organized crime. But firstly, it's the police uh, function in this country. So they, there's external factors. One context matters. Context is actually the most important thing. Constitutional court judges ruled on that. They, and it's you, to operate in a criminal state where they steal your copper cables all the time, it's very difficult. It's really, really good stuff that you've done there and really providing excellent context. Portia Derby, despite her uh, poor choice in husbands, uh, is somebody who does come with a, a good pedigree. But I think from what you're telling us now, it doesn't matter who they'd appointed into that post. They would. It was a hospital pass. It was a. It was. It was impossible because, I guess, doesn't that kind of get down to the core of everything of this ANC government, which loves controlling things. It loves to have the control in the centre. And even now, the communist, Pravin Gordon, his his natural instinct, and he's in his seventies. He's not going to change into into understanding the market economy now. His natural instinct is let's put another chief executive there who is going to be better than Porsche. But from what I'm hearing, that's not going to fix things. Uh, you know, one was horses for courses. When Praveen was at SARS, he was brilliant because that is an organization that must be wired in series. It's a government enforcement agency. SARS can't be run in parallel. SARS must be run in series. And he made a fantastic success of it. Because that's his nature, and that's where how he was brained. His brain function was formed, being communist, uh, Soviet bloc 
working and he made a massive success of SARS. And we must thank him for it. This country would have been in a bigger problem than it would have been if he didn't run SARS and got the tax collection correctly. But you cannot do what you do in a police service and in an education discipline school and in a, in a SARS in a multidisciplinary business. Some things, some you slice this way and some you slice that way. And it's the wisdom to know, to stand back and realize, you know, when you do. You know, when we were young, there was a guy we grew up with. He says, if you struggle, you don't know the trick. As we were talking, we were struggling to get a rubber band into a fridge to seal the fridge again. And we were all pulling young, strong, Oakies think we're going to pull this thing. And he just laughed at us. And he went and get a, a jar of Vaseline. He put the Vaseline on the on the structure of the, the fridge. There the, the, the rubber slips over the, the, the edge. And you can put in as much power. There, there's a trick to it. And, and, and that's what hopefully these guys will understand now. Uh, and, and, and I know that they're scared of big business uh, abusing. But therefore, cut it into enough pieces and let them on the, the competition authority work properly. And, and uh, then, then that, that's the solution. That's what it's, 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 it, and then you still need good management. So uh, I don't say then you can have put anybody in place and it will work. But at the moment, you can put as much management in you. It's too big. It's too unwilling. It's, it's too big to manage. But it's too, too big to fail. The country will so much suffer. So we, we need really, and I hope they're listening and they take it serious, we need a fundamental, it needs to be, it's like the shoes being on the wrong foot. You know, it, it, you can you can work on that shoe as much as you want. But the moment you change the, the shoe to the right foot, everything changes. We need a change of, it needs to be, yeah, it needs to be uh, wired in parallel and not in series. That's the best way I can explain that. I love the example that you've given there. And we've also got a real-life example of Eskom. When Eskom was totally dominant and did not allow the private sector to get involved, we just went into a death spiral in this country. You cannot operate a modern economy without electricity. The minute that they were forced into allowing the private sector to come to the party, it's only two and a half years ago, the transformation has been unbelievable. The, the guys who put my solar into, into my home alone, go solar, will be putting in as many as, as, a, as a, uh, well, 600 megawatts of power, just one company, uh, into the system over the next year or so. And the, the imports of, of uh, solar panels are the highest in the world at the moment. They've shot through the roof. The private sector is coming to the party in a huge way. This government obsession in having to control everything is really not fit for a complex world that we live in today. But how does that message, how does the penny drop on Transnet? We, the penny dropped on Eskom because the country said, we're not prepared to not have electricity. On Transnet, it's a little more insidious. Although two-thirds of our economy is based on either imports or exports, it's a far away from me uh, not seeing or maybe paying a little bit more for it because Transnet is bad or, as you say, driving from Johannesburg to Durban and getting lots of trucks in the road. How does that message, that the Eskom message, the message that you've given now of cutting up this thing into many parts, how does that get through? 
to those who don't want to hear it. The budget. You know, when we were in COVID, the mate of mine was so scared about the country and thinking it was Just relax. The, the farmers make so much money now. The miners make so much money now. You know, when a rand drops or currency drops, there's counterweights. But the rand can drop. You can't export more if translate doesn't work. And that's the Chamber of Mines or some study group has already shown per quarter. In one of the quarters, we had 79 billion rand in company tax. And this last quarter, it's 12 billion. So that's where we'll they feel it. The, the, the medium-term budget review, that's why the government bonds are at 13%. The, 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 I don't like to use the word bond vigilante because then I sound like Noel Rabini, that very doomsday economist from the, that used to be at New York University. But they're pricing in the bonds that the government are going to have to borrow more and that the government, the, the risk of owning a South African bond is, is more because we're not going to collect the tax that we uh, collect. And, 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 and where you're going to feel it is when the farmers and the miners start laying off people. And you've got unemployment in Limpopo because they can't export the oranges, so they're not using so much seasonal workers. You've got unemployed, extra unemployment in the coal belt because they cannot get the, the, the coal out. And so you don't feel it like load shedding. So it's a, it's a delayed effect, but it's going to hit them in their budget, and, it, and it's actually got more serious consequences. Because with load shedding, me and you adapt. Government can't adapt if they've lost 10% of their income. I don't know how they're going to balance uh, their, their books. And hopefully there's a saying, nothing like a cash flow crisis to focus your mind. Hopefully this cash flow crisis focuses their mind correctly. But, but what well, we need to understand, some things depending on how you want your government structure. A government still must run the police force, tax collection agency and stuff like that. So the, the, the agency the government has to run is the, the police force. That they can't run properly. But they want to run the businesses. Please, I'm asking this government, go and run the things you have to run properly first. You, 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 you're not even running the police. I can't be a police. Police you need, it's a state certificate, uh, law and order, regulation, compliance. is government uh, function. That they can't do. There, there's not enough uh, um, uh, veterinarian uh, vaccines for, for all sickness, for, for, for all kinds of things, because the state veterinarians at Unastapurk are battling. The stuff the government do, and, and only them can do, they can't even do properly. Now they want to run our electricity grid, they want to run our transport grid, and, and, and I understand that they're scared of, of big companies dominating. But break them up in enough. If there was 20 companies generating electricity in South Africa and one put in a rogue or a director, an MD, that's not good, that company falls. The country doesn't fall. And when I listened to Andre de Reiter in his last speeches and whatever, or public uh, talks when he was still the, the MD of ESCOM, he explained how the, the structure failed at, trans, at ESCOM when the new board came in and things like that. And that's what showed me that that whole electricity grip in South Africa was electricity supply. Basically revolved around three or four key guys at Eskom, the MD and two outs about it, and the chairman of the board. 
And it shouldn't be, because what if they make the wrong decision? It's too risky to put the whole country's electricity in the hands of five or six people. Break it up into 20 people. If, if, if two of those companies go bankrupt because they've appointed the wrong executives, the others will make up the slack. And, 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 and that's what we need. We need more private companies that compete with each other, supplying electricity and transport. And the government needs to do what the government needs to do, regulation, keeping the people safe, keeping uh, law and order, protecting the copper cables from stealing. So we need a, a rehashing of our government function. Uh, uh, changing Porsche Derby's uh, position with another person is not going to make any difference. Francois Nokia is the developer of the port of Gauteng. And before we go, just to reiterate what he said, in the 2022 annual report, Transnet had 68 billion rand in revenue. Of that, 17%, 7, call it 12 billion rand, came from the coal line, 21% from the iron ore and manganese line, four, that's 14 billion rand. Steel and cement, 5 billion rand. Freight rail overall was 54%. If you break that up, well, you got yourself some seriously sized businesses anyway without having to have uh, this enormous operation, which I guess you could say, Francois, is just too big to run. That's it. And it's too big to fail. It will bring the country down. So we better break it down into smaller, manageable components, ASAP. Francois Nokia, the developer of the Port of Gauteng, thanks for providing context in this episode of Undictated. I'm Alec Hogg from Biznews.com.